This is a CNIB Foundation podcast. Because Braille. Hi, welcome to Because Braille. I'm Rhonda Underhill Gray, and today I have a very special guest in the studio with me, Barbara Davis. And Barbara, thank you for joining us today. Hi. So Barbara is actually working with um, an intervener, and I'm going to ask her to tell us a little bit about how the intervener works, and the voice that we're hearing is Barbara's voice through the intervener. Yes. Hi, my name is Barbara Davis. Um, I was born deaf and visually impaired, and as I uh, grew up, my vision started to decline, and I started using tactile sign language in my 30s, relying on interveners, and I rely on, uh, I use their voice, ears, and eyes, so that gives me access to go outside, to go grocery shopping, to go to meetings, or doctor's appointments, or workshops, um, or deafblind events, doesn't matter, there's lots of different things that I participate in. Um, I use them five days a week, not on the weekends, because I like that time for myself, my independent time with my husband. We go out and do things on our own. So um, I really enjoy having intervener services. It gives me a lot more independence and accessibility into the world and gives me a chance to go and do things that I can do. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, As I was telling you a little earlier, today we're going to talk a little bit about how Braille has impacted your life. So how long have you been reading Braille, Barbara? Hmm. I started in the year 2014. I started using Braille, and ever since then, um, so I guess six years, I'm thinking, if I'm doing my math correctly. Yeah, no, five years, five years, sorry. Um, So the first time I started learning Braille, it was slowly, and I didn't actually really like it. Um, Because I wasn't really prepared to lose my vision completely, so I was in denial. So I kept reading and practicing with my eyes visually, and then there was nothing I can do about it, and I wasn't able to read. And it was I kept misunderstanding things, and I forced myself to learn Braille and to accept that. Um, And as I went, actually, it's gotten a lot better. So Braille wasn't a choice for you; it was a necessity. Correct. Exactly. Okay. And would you say that as someone with hearing and vision loss, the Braille is different in how you experience from somebody else, maybe? No, I do think it's different because um, to read, it's obviously a lot easier to like see letters and whatnot and pictures and identify things that way. But when I'm doing Braille, it really, really changes things. So you actually have to change your mindset and like visually see things in your mind, you know, like initially I had to do so much practice because in my brain I was doing it differently than I used to. You know, I mean, you have to change your entire mindset. So I would start again and again and again until I started getting more comfortable and I developed my skills, obviously. But um, obviously, if I could choose, I'd prefer to actually be able to see the letters and the words because it is a lot easier. But um, to make it accessible, and that's where the issues are, too, that some things are not really accessible with Braille and other. I obviously would rather everything be accessible. um, But at this time, um, it's better than not. It's a stepping stone, so to speak. Correct. Barbara, does it bother you that some people think that Braille is a dying art and that it's not for everybody? Hmm. 
I've heard that, that people think that voiceover is better or other technologies, but for deafblind, that's not accessible for me, right? I need to have Braille. I don't have another option. If you were to take Braille out, then I have absolutely no accessibility, right? Like, I have voiceover wouldn't work for me. If it's talking to me, I'd have no clue, right? Like, I wouldn't be able to hear it whatsoever. I can't see it, so I'm completely left in the dark. So that's not worth it. I would Like, Braille is incredibly important for me. It's my mode of communication completely, right? And you're speaking just like an advocate. You mentioned earlier to me that you do advocacy as part of your your mission or what you do. Can you tell us a little bit about the kinds of things that you advocate for? Um, I'm involved in a lot of different things. Um, initially, my first advocacy adventure, I guess you would say, uh, was in 2000 um, to save CNIB because the deafblind services, because they wanted to close that. Um, somebody, I guess, I'm not really sure exactly how it started, but they didn't want it. They didn't think it was important. They tried to cut the funding, um, and I fought for that. I fought for that to continue, and that was when I first started experiencing that um, because the government said that once you cut off the <laughs> deafblind services completely, the funding, it will take another 10 years to come back to it, like to have that reinstated again. So I was really glad that I was able to fight for that and to make sure that that did not happen. Um, and then after that, I continued fighting and I've advocated for EIS, Emergency Intervenor Services, in 2013. I'm the person that founded that. And then also I've been uh, fighting a lot with ADP um, because they, there's all these limitations with brailers and you can only get one every five years. But if it breaks, then you're stuck. And then what do you do? And that's my only form of accessibility, right? That's my only form of communication for everything, um, for CNIB services, for my phone, for emails. Everything is through my brailler. So to not have or ebooks or whatnot, to not have a backup at all is not an option for me, right? Um, I would be incredibly bored and isolated all day long. I wouldn't have any access to anything. So I was arguing. I, that's a fight that I'm currently fighting right now because you shouldn't have to wait for one to die to not have another. You need to have another because it takes a while for it to happen. Also, the next thing I'm fighting on right now is wheelchair accessibility. There's just not wheelchair accessibility anywhere in a lot of buildings. And I'm trying to make it more physically accessible for people that have physical impairments as well. It's interesting. I am in the studio with um, Barbara, and then I'm going to say your name wrong again. Abby, Rosita. Rosita. And Barbara signs faster than Rosita speaks. So it's the sound you might actually be hearing is Barbara signing to Rosita and Rosita <laughs> signing back. So if you're hearing that, that is um, the sound effects that we have on this podcast. So it's fascinating. Uh, even with my limited vision, I'm seeing that uh, Barbara is signing faster than Rosita speaking. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> so... Tell me a little bit more. You said you founded the um, Emergency um, Intervenor Program. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, before with the CHS and RCH, they used to have a system, but CNIB didn't have anything for that, the emergency services. Um, so I advocated to the government, um, and they said that they need more time to set it up. I said, there is no more time. Like, this is an emergency situation. You know, like, if anything happens to me, I have no option, right? Like, I have to reach out to my family, but they work and they have lives on their own. Like, I live independently, so I would have absolutely no access to emergencies. Um, 
so I kept going to the meetings, to the MCSS meetings, and they kept saying, like, this is something that we will focus on. They kept putting it off. And I said, no, that's not right, because CHS and RCH has it, and I don't have it. So that means that I don't have access to something, and that's not really fair when some people may have access and not others, right? Like, at 3 o'clock in the morning when I need to go to the hospital, like, what am I supposed to do? I get stuck in that, right? So I just kept fighting and fighting and fighting at every meeting, and then finally they uh, started setting it up. It took a long time. There was no partnership. There was nothing. You know, I was asking other people to see if they could help me and try to work it out, but it was just really, really frustrating. That was a really big challenge that I had, but in the end, it was completely worth it that we finally have that service set up now so everybody has equal access to emergency intervener services for all, regardless of the organization that you're under. So I know this is really off topic of the Braille, but how would you contact the emergency services if you needed somebody? So they have different methods um, depending on people's needs, right? So you can contact them by email if that's your communication mode or by text. Um, but also I've noticed that text isn't 100% right now, so they're working on that. Um, luckily, my health has actually gotten a lot better, so I haven't really needed to utilize EIS as much as I thought I would. Um, so I've a couple times that I've used it, I've been with the intervener, luckily, and they've called for me. But on my own, I have uh, emailed them uh, and texted them to let them know that I need. So there are different uh, modes depending on people's needs and communication methods. So tell me about how you would text if you're not seeing and you're not hearing the phone. I have a Braille display with my iPhone. They're connected through Bluetooth. You pair them um, and VoiceOver connects. And then that way I'm able to read what's being displayed on my iPhone. It'll come up onto my Braille display in Braille. And I can click on like messages and I can navigate my phone using my Braille display. It's all through Braille. Um, for example, I would go to messages and I would look under my contacts for EIS and then that would pop up. And then I would send them a text message on my iPhone using my Braille display. Is that how you do email as well? Yeah, same way. Uh, email, um, you have an email address, and message, text messages is through your phone number, but exact same system, yes. Amazing. And what about, like, documents if you're using your computer? Is it the Braille display that you use to do that? Um, I'm not actually able to use a computer anymore. It's too hard because there I have an iMac, and it's not as accessible. It's very complicated. There's a lot of commands and what not using the Braille display. There's just too many combinations of things. The iPhones and iPads are, I believe, because they're summarized, it's just a lot quicker and a lot easier and a lot less commands. So I'm able to navigate myself around the home screen a lot easier. Um, but on the computer, it's a completely different system and it's a lot of work, which I've been trying to work on, but it's just too much. So I've complained to um, Apple and told them that there's just too many different commands that you need to remember to navigate around on the actual computer. Um, I have the computer at home, uh, but really it's just kind of in storage um, and it keeps all my documents on the iCloud and stuff. And if sometimes my interveners use my computer because they can see it better than an iPhone, right, because it's a lot smaller. But um, if they don't know how to use a computer, then I don't let them use it because <laughs> I've had them screw them up a couple of times. I do like Apple a lot. They do have a lot of accessibility, but they do need to work on their computer system because it's not as accessible as their iPhone system. It's interesting because with sight uh, loss for me, I find the same thing in that I need to use my iPhone to do a lot of the things that other people are doing on their computers because it's a smaller field and I can do it quicker than I can on the computer. So 
the more technology. Yeah, completely, I completely agree with that, one hundred percent. The more technology advances, sometimes we have to be so careful, or we're going to get left behind if we're not having people like you out there fighting to make sure it's accessible. Yes, exactly. Um, I want the computer to be as accessible as the iPhone. You know what I mean? Where they just have the icons in the front, like just ten different commands. Like there is no need to have all these different options. It's a waste of time, right? So, but hopefully that will happen in the future. They'll make them easier for us to access. What would you say your favorite Braille device is? Hmm. My favorite is the Focus. 40. I have the 14, but I don't like it as much. Um, I want the 20, but they don't have it. Um, and the reason I chose focus, actually, is because the sensitivity on the the sharp, the dots itself, are a lot more sharp because I have arthritis and, and carpal tunnel syndrome, so my fingers aren't as sensitive. Um, I've no tried other Braille displays, and I can't feel the dots as well, the Braille dots. Um, but on this one, I can. But I just wish that there was a 20 cell. They just don't have that right now. So I have the 14 focus with me right now. So it's the Braille display that's your favorite. Braille. Yeah. Have you found places? Yeah, it's got, yeah the brand is a focus. Okay. Yeah. The focus is the Braille display. That's, and it's a 40 cell. When we and say 40 and 20, we're talking about the number of cells, correct? That's displayed? Yeah, um, 14 cells is smaller and more condensed, and it's just a smaller Braille display. So count like 14 cells, like 14 letters, I guess. 40 is a longer one. That's the one I use at home when I'm reading like e-books or when I'm l reading larger uh, pages. But for travel, because that's so large, it's too hard to like get around. It gets stuck in places. The 14 cell is what I use, but it is really small because it's just only like a few letters at a time. So it's actually... I would prefer 20 because it's a nice in-between, right? A half. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not too big, so you can move around and be comfortable, but it's long enough where there's enough on the one-line display instead of having to continuously go down the lines, right? So tell me a little bit about the e-books that you read. Are they novels, textbooks? What kind of stuff are you reading? And is e-books the best way for you to get the Braille? Um... I use Bookshare through the states because um, the library is actually not accessible for Braille, uh, Braille or display. They have pages. You're supposed to click. They don't have a page click next, uh, but Bookshares is a very accessible website that I'm able to choose books from that website. Um, I also really like the chicken soup books for the soul. I love all of them. I have tons of them. You know, like there's one I'm reading right now is a Think Positive for Children. Uh, there's like love stories. Uh, I really like those. And the Bible, I read the Bible on my apps. I have Bible apps that I read a lot. Um, and sometimes like I can text on my, like write text boarding on my um, keyboard display. I have a wireless iPhone a keyboard at home, which is a lot easier, but when you're actually doing it on your Braille display, it's a lot harder because you have to... I know the letters, but you just have to press all the dots at the same time, and it gets a little confusing. Spell it again. Puncture. Oh, um, like the semicolons and the periods and whatnot, all those things are really hard to remember The with the Braille display, like which combinations of dots I need to press for that to be. 
So for me, I actually prefer to use the keyboard when I'm writing a text, the wireless keyboard, because that I can do uh, no problem. When you, before you started using Braille six years ago, how did you communicate? Um, Zoom text. Oh, okay. Yeah. So did you do text? Yeah, I used Zoom text text. for a lot of years. It just had to have a black screen. I couldn't see the white screen. So because my vision wasn't good, obviously. The white screen was too bright. So I changed the black screen. Um, But my brother, actually, who also has Escherner syndrome, he prefers the white screen, which was way too bright for me. So it's funny how different people have different needs. Luckily for him, that worked for him. But for me, I needed the dark black background. So you have a brother who is also... um Profoundly deaf and has some sight loss as well? Yes, correct. Uh, we both have Usher syndrome, uh, type 1. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, I'm 12 years older than my brother. Um, but my brother has a longer vision than I did. Like, he's able to see for longer than me. I don't know why, even though we both have the same thing. Mm-hmm. What happens with Usher's? How does... Do you know kind of what the progression is? How does it? Um, Usher's is related. It's a gene. It's genetics. It comes from your parents' generations. I'm not sure where along the line, but um, maybe fourth, fifth generation, there was some sort of Usher's that got brought into our genetic family, um, and that's how me and my brother got it. It's an eye disease that makes your vision tunnels, like, smaller, and you can't see at night, like nighttime vision. And you can't see out of your peripheral vision. I wasn't aware until I was 15 that uh, that was my issue because I could see totally fine if in straight in front of me. I could read no problem. Um, but once I got older, like 25, 30, that's when my actual field, middle field of vision started getting um, harder. And then I started using tactile sign language when I was 30. Um, but I've not, but my brother who's 45 just started using tactile. I had to start when I was 30, right? So it was a 15 year difference progression with my brother and me on uh, vision loss. Okay. So was it helpful? Do you think having another person in the family with the same condition, did that give you any sense of inclusion? I have other brothers and sisters, and they're all hearing and vision, and they can see completely fine. Uh, so it's just the two of us. We, because no, not everybody in our family can use sign language. Some can, some cannot. So that makes it a little bit more difficult. If I could see and hear, it would be a lot easier for me to communicate with my family. But I have no choice in that. I have to accept that I am deaf blind. Um, and some of them don't know sign language. Some do, or some do just basic signs. So it has to be very like basic and especially with tactile it's a lot harder sometimes they do very soft signing which i can't feel that in my hands so i need to say like sign with more strength i guess you know but like older people with arthritis or whatnot they can't so i asked my husband to try to help me you know so we do like a teamwork of trying to figure out what people are trying to say does your husband have uh, sight loss or hearing difficulties He's just deaf. Okay. He was born hearing and became, uh, he got sick when he was two and a half. Not sure um, what it was. He can't really remember, but he thinks it was meningitis um, that made him lose his hearing. So obviously he needed to learn how to do tactile sign to communicate with you as you were losing your vision. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about the difference between 
sign, tactile sign, two-hand manual, and finger spelling. <laughs> okay. So regular sign language and tactile sign language are the same, really. Um, but two-hand manual is completely different. That's come from, that comes from England. And they're, it's different. It's like by letters. And they changed it to make it, it's called two-hand manual for deafblind people. Uh, it's not something, it's not a mode of communication that I use. Um, also, there's a large print that people use because some people that are hearing or might lose their um, hearing later in life, they might be able to still use large print. So that's their mode. Every, there's different modes of communication. Okay. And so was it difficult for your husband when he found out that you were losing vision? I don't think it bothered him. No. No. He, was, he accepted it. That's life. Yep. You know, he said that when you die and you go to heaven, I'll be able to see again. And he's right. So I'm not really worried. I know in the end I'll be able to see. Love is more important than vision, right? I mean, if it's something that he thought about or, like, put stress on him, it wasn't wouldn't help in the long run because there's nothing we can do about that. But, you know, like, we do things together. Like, he likes to cook and I like to clean. Like, we're very equal in our roles, you know. So I've been enjoying that he's been cooking and I've been doing because it's not my favorite. And he's really good at cooking and he has all these different recipes. I'm kind of limited in what I can do um, and what I know. Right. So I do all the laundry and I clean, but we work really well as a team. So that's the important thing is that that's made our life a lot easier is that we work really well together. That's awesome. Does he read Braille as well? No, no. No? I that... tease him. I always put the Braille display in front of him and I say, what does it say? And he's like, I don't know. Oh, sucker. Well, you don't know. <laughs> That's how you keep your secrets. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Because you can't have a clue what I'm saying, right? So I'm like, too bad for you. <laughs> um, as far as Braille is a part of your life, is there any dream devices that you would like the world to develop to make your life easier? Hmm. I want a stem cell. So I want stem cells to fix my vision so I can see. That's my ultimate goal. I want to have my vision back. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> but if not, obviously, then I guess Braille display. Um, I'd prefer to, you know, I want to keep busy and keep independent. I don't want to feel sorry for myself. So, you know, hopefully down the pipe something will happen and then I'll be able to use different and new technologies. But um, just try to keep going forward is the goal. Do you use Braille as labeling in your house at all? Like every day, kind of label cans or products or shampoo or anything like that? Just a little bit. Um, I need to buy, I can't remember what it's called, the like punch card thing where you like for Braille to put labels on. Like I can't remember what it's called, the actual like thing that you label to like the the with the stickies i don't actually have oh like, okay part. like a dymo tape machine or something yeah, yeah. i think that's what it is okay. i'm not sure i can't remember i don't actually have one i borrowed one and i did it for my spices um and did some stuff but um i actually don't have one on my own so i haven't really kept up with it and um Oh, what I do is I identify things with elastics. So, for example, like for beans, I'll put like three elastics around it so I know that's it. Or like chili, like some of them you can tell, identify what things are by just feeling them. Mm -hmm. And like for like cans, that's where it gets a little tricky, right? Like there's tuna cans and salmon and um, 
salmon cans. Uh, so the, I noticed that the salmon cans are a little higher. So that's how I know that that one's salmon and that one's tuna. I also put everything away mm -hmm. so I know exactly where everything is when I go find it. So <laughs> I always tell my husband he can't put stuff away, leave it to me so I can find it later. So that's a big help, right? So I'm able to identify things tactilely or I'll just put like some sort of identifier, like an elastic or whatnot around it. That's terrific. It's It sounds like you're comfortable with where you are in your life, Barbara. Yeah. Um, some people encourage me to, like, maybe train, um, like, to take workshops or train things, but I've actually just been able to figure everything out on, the own, on my own. I don't know why. I find that a lot of times when I participate in those things, they try to change my opinions or try to change the way I do things. This has been really working out for me. I've been lucky that my vision loss has been declining slowly, so that's um, been helping me kind of adjust and adapt. You know, they've told me, you know, go to CHKC and you can they have all these workshops and all these things, which I've participated in. But the Braille, I did that on my own. I had Braille teacher help me initially in the beginning for the keys and like what the keys were. But then I find it very frustrating because their teaching method was different than my learning method. Like it just was harder for me. So um, I asked my friends who also uses Braille display all these different questions and then kind of learned it out on my own and realized and was asking a lot uh, through email, you know, um, and figuring it out on my own. So that worked for me really well. Is there a lot that goes on? You mentioned that you do things within the deafblind community. Do, are there specific uh, activities and things that people can get involved in? There's a lot of different things, um, not just deafblind too. I participate in deaf things as well, like deaf deafblind. Uh, for deafblind, for example, there's DBAT. Um, they do a lot of socials. It's at the end of the month. Um, we get together. Let me think here. Uh, deafblind Adventures Club is another one that's also once a month that I participate in. It uh, depends on what event they're doing, if I'm interested in that specific event. Also, I go to a deaf church as well. I also go to a hearing church as well because sometimes um, I just want to, like, feel the same. I don't want to feel different and just participate in deaf things. I also want to participate in the hearing world as well. I do realize that I'm deafblind, but we all have the same mind, right? Like, you know what I mean? I'm just receiving messages differently through bail when some people can hear and read it but really we're all the same a lot of people think that i can't cook i can't do laundry i can't do things on my own i can do everything the same i just wouldn't be able to like fix a car but you know maybe another person can fix a car right like but i could i can do everything and be in the same environment as a hearing person and do all the same things as a hearing person it just takes me a little longer fixing the car is dirty work anyway <laughs> leave that to somebody else <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very true. So you mentioned that you actually go to... Uh... Maybe you can fix my car. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you mentioned that you go to um, a hearing church. How is that different? Do you take somebody with you? How do you experience that? Um, okay, so there's two different ways. Once in a while, I'll go on a Sunday with my best friend who's also deaf. Uh, we've been best friends for 46 years. No, sorry, 45 years. And we will go and she will do tactile for me as she watches the interpreter. So she, if there's an interpreter present, if there's not an interpreter present, then we don't go. Um, so she just copies and does tactile for me. And then once a month, uh, I think it's the third Thursday of the month, there's a luncheon that they provide, and I'll go with an intervener then. I really enjoy those, and I see everybody, and everybody knows me, and they all my kids go to church, so they we keep up that way, and we you know talk about what's going on, and we try to, we're very social in that way. With an intervener, it gives me access to talk to everybody at the table. Something the tells lunch. me you're very social. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I really enjoy it. I really like to get to know the people around me. Yes, for sure. Excellent. Would you have any advice for people who have ushers and if they knew or know that they're going to lose their vision? Uh, would you have anything that you would advise them? Hmm. Yeah, ushers or deafblind, and, and they just need to be willing to participate in the CNIB deafblind intervener services. Because a lot of people are in denial and aren't really ready, but there's a lot of services that that they provide, like uh, literacy um, orientation, or you know, don't be shy and don't be scared. You know, a lot of people think that's not what I want to do, or they're embarrassed, or they don't want to identify. Um, a lot of time, people think about themselves and maybe not others in that sense. But I've noticed that if I focus on myself, then I benefit everybody around me, right? Like the better that I can improve myself, the better for the people around me it will be. So and that will help you be more involved in life and gain your independence again. That's a lot easier than like sitting around and feeling sorry for yourself. It'll get depressed and you'll be isolated. And especially if you do get depressed, you know, sometimes that happens, you know, I'll be like, you know what, I want to go out for a walk. And so I'll ask an intervener, let's go out for a stroll. You know, that's better than just sitting around the house and being alone. That'll make things worse. Or you'll start thinking and thinking and thinking negative thoughts about my vision and losing your vision and what all the things I'm going to miss out on. You know, of course, I sit and think like I wish I could see and I do realize how different my life is now. But if I sit around and cry, it's not going to help me. Right. So I want to move on and with my husband and try to participate in as many things as I can. Obviously, that's a challenge for me. Um, but just be patient because in the future, who knows, there might be some sort of uh, advancements that we can get our vision back. You know, you never know what's going to happen in the future. Everything is changing so quickly. Right. So there could be um, a cure for us. Well, technology changes every day, too. So we never know what's around the corner. Barbara, it's with someone who has sight loss and I'm I'm sort of talking with you. We have the advantage of a, an intervener with us right now. How can I help or get to know you better with, say, without the intervener, but not to kind of be presumptuous or in your face or any of those kinds of things? But how do we, I guess what I'm trying to ask is how should people approach you? What should we or should we not do? Um, and how do we make sure that it's inclusive when we run events for people who would like to come that might be... Um, having hearing and vision problems? I guess that's a lot of questions in one. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I break it down one on one? Do you mean, for example, with my vision, uh, I'm that we need to use an intervener to communicate, but if I had enough vision, I could be like maybe right back and forth with you. Like that's another mode of communication, depending on the person when their visual impairment, right? Um, if I have an intervener, obviously I'll always ask my intervener to help communicate. Um, Deafblind need to learn to stand up for themselves and not be scared and nervous, you know? Um, I remember when I was a teenager, when I was 15, and I found out I had Usher syndrome. I was so embarrassed. I didn't want anybody to know. They thought they would look at me bad and, you know... Um, so I cried and I was really upset about it and I didn't know what my future was going to entail. I thought I was like, I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to be able to have kids. You know, I'm like, no, you know what? You can't think of the negative things. You have to think of the positive things because also people don't really like you if you're very negative, right? It's a lot harder to find a man that way as well, right? But look at me. I ended up getting married. I have five kids. I have 10 grandchildren. 
have a complete life and you just have to try to look at the positivity and that attitude is contagious, right? That's the important thing. It's a great attitude. Five children. Wow, you've got lots of energy, lady. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm dead now. That that ran out a while ago. (laughs) My children are grown, thank God. (laughs) So I can't babysit your grandkids. I'm too tired for that. (laughs) This is my focus time on myself right now because I put all my time in you kids and now... I'm focusing on advocacy and trying to make things equal and better for everybody. And with your family, with both you and your husband having hearing problems, do any of the children have uh, hearing challenges? No, they're all hearing. No? And can they all sign? All of them can sign, yes. Yes, absolutely. Good. Glad to hear it. <laughs> they have to, yeah. Because yeah. my husband said, like, we have to. Like, yes, yes, we will teach them, and all of them can do that, so we're happy and, with that. And how are we doing with grandchildren? Are they learning, too? No, that's hard. I have two that can. My daughter's last baby, his son, her son, sorry, can sign a little bit, and my second son I pushed him to try to teach this kid just a little bit. So he's got like three signs, which is that's it. But no, they all need to learn more sign language. That is something that I would like them to do. Yes. Have you heard about the community hub in Toronto? No, I have not heard of that. What is that? So we have a hub in downtown Toronto where we run different types of programs. And in fact, one of our volunteers is uh, a young man who is... uh, hearing impaired, and has vision loss as well. I think he's profoundly deaf as well. And he works with us um, to help us do some of our work. But what I'm wondering, we have a lot of programs. We have things like yoga and wood turning and different social events. What could we do to be inclusive to encourage people from the deafblind uh, community to come and participate in in programming and activities that we have at the hub. Hmm. Let the deafblind community know. Like let deafblind services know. Um, if you let me know, I'll also try to get it out into the community. Because uh, a lot of them actually live in Toronto. I don't. So for me, I wouldn't be able to participate a lot. I have limited kilometers that I'm allowed to come into Toronto. Mm-hmm. I'm also looking for, I've been looking for work for the last 45 years and I can't, which is really, really hard. But I'm involved in all these advocacy things and the Lion Club for three years. And I learned so much from them to like how to advocate and, you know, I'm being involved in the church and whatnot, but I still can't get a job, which is really frustrating because I'm involved in so many things. It feels like work. It's Finding a job is like <coughs> work, but the amount of things you do during the day can keep you more busy than work. My husband says he sees he used to see me less uh, when I wasn't working because I was always off busy doing something else. <laughs> so, yes, I get that. Where do you live, Barbara? Burlington. Oh, okay. So Burlington is, is still part of our uh, our GTA area. Are there events or programming that you would like to see implemented in Burlington? Hmm. Um, I wish they had, let me think about that. A few things, actually. I wish they could have work for me. That would be mm-hmm. great. Um, I guess events, anything, I don't really care. I would. It would be hearing or deaf or deafblind, any kind of event. There is not any, there's not a lot of deafblind people. I think there's only two of us. 
No, no, wait, three. There's a new third person that lives in Burlington now. So there's only three of us. So it's not enough to actually have any kind of event. So I'm not really sure how you would do that. So I guess that's something I'd have to think about. Okay, that's fair enough. Because I know some deafblind people prefer to just be with deafblind people. Like mm-hmm. for me, I enjoy all, like in this situation, like a hearing situation, this is a great experience that I'm having right here. So this is something different, right? Which maybe a deafblind person wouldn't participate in. Well, I am very happy that you did agree to come on with us and, and talk. I I feel like we've kind of really gone off topic, but it's just so interesting for me to have an opportunity to ask these questions and to, to really speak with somebody about what your life is like and, and the different, uh, how your life might be different, but more about you know, the courage and the energy and all of us have five kids and, and keep going. You talk about wanting to find work. What kind of work were you wanting to do? I'd like to work um, with deafblind services, actually, uh, like teach interveners, um, like different skills I can use. You know, not all interveners are trained sufficiently. I feel like I could improve that. Um, and I don't want it to come from a non-deafblind person because I, I feel like I have mm-hmm. the best perspective and best view on that. Because um, a lot of different people think differently, right? Like even though we're both blind, a deafblind person and, and a hearing Blind person can have different things. A lot of times people think that all the things are the same when you go to a grocery store, for example, and I say I'm looking for chickpeas or whatever, and they just grab me whatever they think. But for me, it's actually very important what the label is. Is it PC? Is it name brand? Like, Mm -hmm. what is it? Like, a lot of interveners don't think that that's important. But no, that's actually important. That's information that I need to know. I want to know all the information, right? Like, some clients don't want to know all the information. That's information overload or whatnot. But so that would be something that I'd like to train and help. Um, help interveners' skills be improved, right? I just really like working with people, any kind of educational system or anything with people. Do you think that there's enough hours allotted for someone who's deafblind for intervention a week? I think I think it's up to 24 hours a week is all we're allowed. Before it used to be 10, so it got increased to 24 um, so if you want more, you have to apply to the government. And right now I don't have a job, so that would be okay. But if I had a job, then I would need more than 24 hours. So I guess it depends on the situation. Um, that's something that I, uh, the 10 to 24 hours is something that I fought for as well, right? That just got increased last year. It used to be 10 and now it's 24. So that's been a big jump. Um, and if I had a job, then I guess I would apply and try to get more hours to accommodate for that, right? Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Barbara, for coming in and and being part of this. This has been really interesting for me. And I'm sure our listeners will uh, find it very um, invigorating, I guess, to sort of hear. Sometimes I think that if someone has vision loss, they may get down on themselves and start to think about how rough they've got it. And when you uh, meet someone who has the uh, courage and the, as I said, keep coming back to your energy, the determination to not feel sorry for yourself and to make a difference, I, I, it's a little hard for us to kind of feel bad about ourselves. You've got to give yourself a good shake and sort of go, you know what? It can be more challenging. And I really appreciate the fact that you came in today and spoke with us and shared so much of how your life is. Thank you. For more CNIB Foundation podcasts, visit cnib.ca slash podcasts.